0: You are listening to CITR FM 101.9 or, of course, on your computer, www.citr.ca. Stay tuned now for The Jazz Show coming right up, right now, with Gavin Walker.
1: ba do ba doo do, 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 do ba doo
0: We would like to welcome you to another edition of The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9, or of course for live streaming, www.citr.ca. My name is Gavin Walker, and we have uh, a lot of music to play for you this evening, and we're actually going to celebrate a birthday a little later on. We're going to hear some music by trumpeter Donald Byrd, Donald was one of those musicians that emerged, uh, came to New York, which was, of course, where everything was happening, and still is to an extent. But uh, he came from uh, a, a real strong jazz town, which was Detroit, and, uh, of course, was one of the shining lights of the trumpet. Uh, when he arrived in New York, he was already very well-developed, Uh, musician. And of course, he immediately started working with some of the best uh, people in jazz. And uh, Donald Byrd recorded prolifically. Um, It got to the point where some critics were saying, well, he's over-recorded. He's on just about every recording. But he really proved that he was one of the finest lyric trumpeters And he, is, of course, was the same generation as as Lee Morgan. Lee Morgan had that uh, um, kind of fire in his playing. Donald Byrd was um, very much uh, concerned with um, lyricism, and he had a beautiful sound on the trumpet. Of course, he had his influences, uh, as Lee Morgan had, um, but he did become a major voice on the trumpet. So we'll be hearing some more um, of Donald Byrd, in some optimum performances, and today is his birthday anniversary, and that's the reason uh, for doing that. But well, that's all for later. Our jazz feature is going to kick off the show this evening. And there are so many great piano players out there. Oscar Peterson, Art Tatum, Bill Evans, Keith Jarrett, Kenny Barron, Phineas Newborn Jr., Bud Powell. Christian Sands, young young man who's absolutely phenomenal. Marcus Roberts, Mike Ladon. See, there's just so many piano players that I could I could talk about. Errol Garner. <laughs> That's another one. Um, however, there is one pianist who rarely gets mentioned. I don't know why. But when we're naming all of these prominent piano players and more, of course, Hampton Hawes doesn't get mentioned very often. Hampton Barnett Hawes was born November thirteenth nineteen twenty eight in Los Angeles, California. He was the son of one of the most prominent clergymen in Los Angeles, and he learned um, to play by ear. Um, He was very much a genius of the piano. Hampton, sad to say, died at age 48 from a brain hemorrhage on May 22, 1977. But he had quite a career in those 48 years. Now, it wasn't long uh, he learned how to play the piano. He could play anything he heard on the piano, and he was sitting at the piano when he was three years old, and he could hear something on the radio and immediately play it. In a way, he was a little bit like Errol Garner, um, kind of a, a genius almost, and uh, who had a, a great ear. And, of course, Hampton, as he developed and, and kept his interest in the piano... Um, he began performing at his dad's church um, when he got a little older, a little more sophisticated and that sort of thing. And his his dad, um, when Hampton uh, expressed um, an interest in jazz music, uh, his dad kind of discouraged him because uh, he knew where um, the saloons and the clubs and all that kind of stuff where jazz music was played and he didn't really want his son to get into that but there was no stopping Hampton. Uh, He um, persisted and during his teens um, he had developed into a full blown professional musician, self-taught and was beginning with uh, to play in Los Angeles with all the All the heavy musicians there, people like Howard McGee, uh, Sonny Chris, uh, Teddy Edwards, Art Pepper, um, and Charlie Parker, who was one of Hampton's most uh, biggest uh, people that inspired him. And he really became an integral part of, uh, of the jazz elite in Los Angeles. As I mentioned before, his reading skills were limited, and his knowledge of music theory was almost nil. But he participated in some pretty sophisticated recording sessions uh, that would baffle most musicians, even if they had uh, sheet music in front of them. And Hampton could, would hear something once, and he, he could um, instantly duplicate it and do exactly what it was required He had that that kind of genius. Unfortunately, um, things were really starting to happen. But then the U.S. forces took Hampton. He was drafted and sent to Japan for a couple of years. But while he was over there, his talents um, led him because the the American forces at the time after the uh, Second World War uh, were very much— a presence in japan being uh a quote-unquote conquered nation and uh they were there for many years so hampton was part of that but he met up with a lot of really superior jazz musicians japanese jazz musicians began playing with him and he became uh very well loved over there uh, because he was always ready to play and 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 join in and he taught them a lot of stuff and uh I'm sure he learned uh, some stuff from them as well. Anyway, upon his return to Los Angeles, he began um, recording for Contemporary Records, which was one of the big uh, jazz recording companies in Los Angeles. There were two. One was Contemporary Records, one was Pacific Jazz. And Hemp chose Contemporary Records, got a really nice contract, and formed his own trio And this is where we're going to uh, present our jazz feature this evening, some of the uh, early trio recordings by Hampton Hawes, by uh, his own trio. Now, he had been heard by a lot of the East Coast piano players, and Oscar Peterson was one of his biggest admirers. And uh, Oscar knew um, he was quite baffled. Um, how sophisticated and beautifully um, pianistic uh, Hampton was, considering he was self-taught. He didn't have training. And uh, Oscar Peterson certainly was a, a very sophisticated musician, but he uh, he really admired Hampton Hawes and listened to a lot of his recordings and was actually influenced by Hampton. And um, of course, Hampton was heard by other piano players, uh, prominent piano players in the in the East, like Horace Silver, Sonny Clark, and uh, various other piano players who had, uh, had listened to Hampton through his records. When, so when he started recording with his trio, this was really a, a, a boost for him, and uh, uh, he was really, really found his first level of musical maturity in uh, in his hometown of Los Angeles but he was he became known throughout through recordings throughout the uh, United States and Canada as well as a major piano player the only drawback with Hampton unfortunately like many musicians of his era he developed very heavy drug habit and Eventually, in 1958, he was pulled over by the uh, narcotic squad in Los Angeles. And he was charged, and they threatened him with a huge prison sentence. But they would go easy on him if he ratted on fellow musicians that he knew were using, and Hampton steadfastly refused to do this. So he was in front of a judge and given a 10-year sentence for possession of heroin. Interestingly enough, a few years later, and by this time he was rehabilitated, clean, sober, he was still, of course, serving his sentence. John F. Kennedy became the president of the United States, and something told Hampton to try and write a letter. Hampton was in uh, in prison, and he got a letter out to President Kennedy. Somehow it, it got to the president, and Hampton basically said uh, that The sentence he got was unjust. He said, I'm now finished with that part of my life. I have a lot to offer uh, the people of America. I'm an artist, um, and I have uh, many, many recordings and so on and so forth. He listed a whole uh, bunch of stuff, and he said, "I'm, I'm writing this appeal that I don't deserve to be in prison. And John F. Kennedy was very moved by this. And he found out a little more information about Hampton Hawes, and I'm sure that he heard some of his uh, recordings. And with, within a few months, Hampton Hawes was given a presidential pardon, which was so rare, especially for a black American and someone who had a history of drug addiction. And in 1964... Hampton Hawes was back and playing music, recording once again, playing with his uh, cronies, his friends, uh, touring the world, and that continued until 1977, uh, and then his untimely passing from that uh, uh, brain uh, seizure that he had. And... uh, But Hampton left a long legacy of wonderful recordings, even though there was a a period where he wasn't recording a few years. So that's a a little bit of a capsule history of Hampton Hawes. I would like to say one more thing about him. He wrote a book. It's a biographical um, book that he wrote called Raise Up Off Me. And to this day, I... Uh, It's worth looking for in the library um, and getting hold of and reading because it's an incredible story of his life uh, with all the ups and downs. And it is the most candid and marvelous biography of a great artist that Hampton Hawes is. Now, we're going to get to his music and his trio. This there's a wonderful album called simply The Hampton Hawes Trio. We're going to hear that album in its entirety. The people involved here um, Hampton Hawes, of course, on piano, on bass, one of the great bass players in jazz history, Red Mitchell, and on drums, Chuck Thompson. And uh, uh, Chuck was one of the better uh, known drummers in Los Angeles at the time, very, very tasteful. Uh, drummer, liked to use brushes, and uh, really knew how to operate in a piano trio. And uh, we're going to hear a whole bunch of tunes by Hampton Hawes. This, All of this was recorded um, about a year after he came back from, uh, from Japan. Uh, he'd taken a little time to form this trio, play some gigs, and so on and so forth. So we're going to hear a whole bunch of tunes um, by Hampton, and you'll hear his distinctive Uh, marvelous piano stylings. So we begin with uh, the trio playing um, a George Gershwin staple, I Got Rhythm. Tune number two is Cole Porter's What Is This Thing Called Love? And tune number three is a Hampton Hawes original composition based on the blues, and it's called Blues The Most. Then we're going to hear another Cole Porter tune, uh, interpreted by Hampton, called "So in Love," and then we go to uh, two Hampton Hawes compositions: uh, two number five is called "Feelin' Fine," and two number six is called "Simply Hamp's Blues." Two number seven is a beautiful ballad that um, Billy Haw they put on the jazz map, and many other singers. Um, Hampton. Uh, does a delightful interpretation of easy living. And then we go to uh, one by Jerome Kern, which is a sort, of, sort of a standard that every jazz musician has to learn and know this tune, all the things you are. And then uh, another great ballad, These Foolish Things Remind Me of You, and the set ends with a delightful version of The Carioca. So here then are jazz feature artists this evening, The Great Hampton Hawes with Red Mitchell on bass and Chuck Thompson on drums. And we start off with I Got Rhythm. Thank you. Our jazz feature this evening, the music of a wonderful piano player who seems to be rarely mentioned when you talk about great jazz piano players, Los Angeles-born Hampton Hawes. Hampton, uh, Hampton's life was fairly short, it was cut down by a brain hemorrhage, and he died at age 48, May twenty second, 1977. He was born in L.A. November thirteenth, nineteen 1928, and he was the son of one of the most uh, prominent uh, Los Angeles clergymen. And as I mentioned before, Hampton was uh, self-taught. Um, he wasn't a great uh, uh, reader of music. Uh, he didn't know much about theory, but he had this ear and this photographic memory. And if you played something once for him, um, he would remember it, every note. And uh, so Hampton definitely had a touch of genius when it came to that. And um, he was uh, an incredible uh, musician, developed as a, as a teenager. Um, he first started playing uh, the piano in, his, um, in, uh, in church and uh, then moved on because he got a, a little taste of uh, hearing jazz music. And, uh, that was it for Hampton. That's what he wanted to play. And of course, uh, eventually he, uh, developed into a great, uh, fine piano stylist and began playing with some of the very best musicians in the Los Angeles area. People like Sonny Chris, Art Pepper, uh, Bud Shank, all kinds of, uh, incredible artists that were living in Los Angeles at the time. And, um, Hampton, of course, uh, appeared on many of their recordings and, and uh, did some recording under his own name too and, of course, became uh, known through recordings um, throughout uh, America and, and Canada and uh, became an influence on such people as Oscar Peterson and uh, Horace Silver and many other piano players. Andre Previn was uh, hugely influenced by... Uh, Hampton Hawes, and uh, they became very close buddies as well. I mentioned uh, this incredible biography that Hampton wrote, and I'll mention it again. It's called Raise Up Off Me, and uh, I'm sure you can find this um, in any library or order it on Amazon. It's not expensive, and it's one of the best and most um, compelling. Reads uh, of any uh, jazz biography. Um, It's very easy to read, and uh, once you start, you're not going to put it down. It's quite a story, and it talks about all of Hampton's ups and downs in his uh, very eventful life. Our jazz feature was done in the mid 50s for Contemporary Records. Hampton signed a contract with that label which was one of the most uh, prominent jazz labels in Los Angeles at the time, and began recording for them and and, uh, put out a lot of albums. Uh, He had formed his own trio with the great Red Mitchell on bass, who you heard, and the very tasty drummer Chuck Thompson. And uh, this was one of the very first albums that was issued uh, in a whole series of Hampton Hawes trio albums. And um, This was a good one, and I hope you enjoyed hearing Hampton's uh, incredibly um, sophisticated approach to the piano, uh, considering he was self-taught. He had a beautiful touch, uh, very crisp, and uh, he swung his buns off and was uh, an incredible stylist, and he definitely ranks with any of the great piano players that you Deign to mention. People like uh, Keith Jarrett, Oscar Peterson, Bud Powell, Christian Sands, Marcus Roberts, etc., etc. The tunes we heard, uh, we opened with uh, George Gershwin's I Got Rhythm, and then we moved to uh, Cole Porter's What Is This Thing Called Love, and then an original by Hampton called Blues The Most, and then another Cole Porter tune called So In Love. And then a tune which sort of was reminiscent of "Bye Bye Blackbird," but it's a Hampton Hawes original called "Feelin' Fine." And then we uh, resorted—not um, <laughs> resorted—we <laughs> went to the blues. Ham- that's a Hampton love playing twelve-bar uh, uh, blues compositions, and we went to one called "Hamp's Blues." That was track number six. Then we moved to a, a, a great uh, ballad called "Easy Living." And then we heard a a fine version of a tune that everybody needs to know who plays jazz, uh, Jerome Kearn's All the Things You Are. And then we moved to a tune called These Foolish Things, and then a nice up-tempo version of a tune called The Carioca," And we ended with a tune that was written for Hampton's wife, Jackie. And um, at that time, he had... uh, returned from the army and he met Jackie. She was a school teacher and uh, they had a, a long and eventful marriage. And um, he wrote this tune for her and called it Blues for Jackie. And that was the last tune we heard on the set. So I hope you enjoyed the music of very refreshing music of Hampton Hawes. My name's Gavin Walker and this is The Jazz Show. And we broadcast from CITR 101.9, or, of course, on your computer, www.citr.ca. And uh, we're going to be back. And we're going to pay tribute to a great trumpet player by the name of Donald Byrd. And we'll tell you more about that after uh, a couple of these important messages.
2: French vanilla. French vanilla. French Vanilla. French Vanilla. French Vanilla. French Vanilla. MRG
1: Concerts and CITR presents French Vanilla at the Biltmore Cabaret on December 5th. Up there, fun. If it's fun, I feel...
2: Tickets on sale now at mrgconcerts.com and eventbrite.ca.
0: Well, <laughs> that's a, a dated ad. I didn't see the date on there until, uh, uh, until it was played. And of course, uh, December 5th is come and gone. Well, that's the way things go. Um, anyhow, here's one more for you.
2: Discorder Magazine has been supporting local music for over 30 years. Thanks to the long term support of the Rickshaw Theater, Discorder lives. Favorite bands are playing at the Rickshaw Theater. Check out their calendar just behind the cover of Discord or magazine or at rickshawtheater.com. TransCare BC works to enhance the coordination of trans health services across the province and offer expanded health services to support transgender communities.
1: They are doing this by developing gender affirming, client-centered models of service.
2: Ensuring access to gender-affirming and supportive health care that is equitable and available.
1: And supporting network development to make sure trans and gender-diverse individuals, their families, and health care providers have access to information, resources, and support.
2: Check out phsa.ca to learn more about this program and lend your voice to help create an inclusive and supportive system for the trans members of our community.
0: thing that uh isn't dated is uh, the weather, and uh we have a nice weekly forecast for you typical december weather that uh that we're going to get not too bad not not the greatest but not too bad either it's it's that's the way it is this time of year and uh, tonight is going to be partly cloudy and there's some fog patches out there uh so there'll be Um, intermittent fog patches. If you're driving around, you may drive through uh, one or two of them or wherever. So that's what's happening, and it's going to get fairly cool down to about a low of 1. And tomorrow is going to be mainly cloudy with some showers in the morning, and a low of 1 and a high of 7. The outlook for Wednesday is drizzle or rain with a low of 6 and a high of 8, Uh, Thursday, periods of rain with not much change or variation in temperature, Um, a low of 8 and a high of 8, and (laughs) that's it. It's not going to change very much. Friday is going to be cloudy with a 60% chance of a shower with a low of 6 and a high of 9. Saturday looks pretty nice. It's a mix of sun and cloud with a low of 2 and a high of 6, and Sunday is going to be cloudy with a 60% chance of a shower. So... There you be. There's the weather picture, and it's, uh, it's not untypical this time of year, for sure.
1: You're listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Honkamenim-speaking Musqueam people.
0: We're back with some music by a gentleman whose name is Donaldson to Saint Louverture Bird II. but he's better known as Donald Bird and Donald Byrd was one of the finest trumpet stylists to come along in the 1950s, um, very well-educated man. Uh, he continued with his education uh, while he was playing with some of the best musicians uh, in New York. He, he was born in Detroit and developed his talents there. He was born December 9th, this day, in 1932, uh, in in Detroit, um, and of course, uh, like Hampton Hawes, he was the son of uh, um, a clergyman as well, and uh, learned to uh, um, sort of fell in love with the trumpet, and uh, began uh, performing with uh, uh, local musicians in in Detroit, and of course, he met them all, um, and eventually he moved to New York City and began playing with some of the very best musicians there when he moved there in 1955. And he, um, of course, performed with uh, all kinds of people. i run down the names, John Coltrane, Sonny Rollins, Thelonious Monk, Herbie Hancock, uh, all kinds of people. And he made scads of records. As a matter of fact, uh, during the uh, 50s and early 60s, uh there was some criticism of bird it's not that the the critics didn't like his playing they just said the guy is uh, on just about everybody's record uh he's over recorded but uh you know you couldn't get enough of donald Byrd. he had a beautiful sound on the trumpet and was also a very lyrical player um and uh he loved uh, good melodies, and that was reflected in his trumpet stylings. Of course, he was influenced by Miles Davis and Dizzy Gillespie and Fats Navarro and all all the earlier trumpet players. Um, interestingly enough, we're going to begin our tribute to Donald Byrd. Donald lived to um, the ripe old age of 80, and um, he, he died uh, February 4th, um, 2013. And um he was, as I mentioned before, not only uh um, a very fine musician, he was an extremely well educated man, uh, had various college degrees, and he was an educator as well on uh, jazz and black history. And uh of course, he um later on in the seventies, um, he moved away from jazz and developed a band called the Blackbirds, and they were a funk, uh, jazz funk band, and they became very, very popular. And, of course, he was widely criticized at the time by uh, the jazz people for doing that, but, you know, this was all part of uh, black American music that he felt was important, and uh, um, he continued to do that unapologetically, Donald Byrd. Anyway, we're going to... Uh Take you back to um, a little bit of Donald's early career, when he became part of the Jazz Messengers. Now, this was not um, this this predated Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers. This was the Jazz Messengers. Yes, Art Blakey was the drummer, but this was a cooperative band. Um, uh, there was no designated leader. It was only later when this band broke up that Art Blakey took over leadership, and it became Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers. So this is the the Jazz Messengers. As I mentioned before, cooperative bands sometimes work, uh, but usually um, after a while they, they break up, and usually the cause is money and um, uh, all kinds of other stuff too, maybe personality differences and so on. So this edition uh, did Break up after about a year or so, but it was one of the great jazz bands, and uh, the the real name was simply the Jazz Messengers. Now well, they recorded this um, their final album that they recorded as the Jazz Messengers was done for Columbia Records, with uh, great sound quality, and Donald Byrd had taken over the trumpet position. The original members uh, were still in the band, uh, and they include Hank Mobley on tenor saxophone, one of the, uh, well, they called him the middleweight champion of the tenor saxophone. That's a pretty good definition of uh, where Hank was at. And the great Horace Silver on piano, uh, Douglas Watkins on bass, and he was from Detroit, and Donald Byrd uh, had joined the band when Kenny Dorham, uh, the original uh, Jazz Messengers trumpeter, had left. And Donald Byrd took over and um, added his sound to the band. So we're going to hear two pieces of music by this edition of The Jazz Messengers. And uh, the first piece of music is a composition by Hank Mobley, and it's called infra And uh, then we're going to hear, I guess, the piece de resistance on this album. And it's one of Horace Silver's finest compositions, dedicated to the jazz baroness, and it is called Nika's Dream. And, um, of course, the jazz baroness was baroness Nika Rothschild. And uh, she took care of a lot of musicians in her long career. All of this was recorded um, in April and May of 1956 for Columbia Records. So we're going to hear infra to begin with and Nika's Dream. And once again, the jazz messengers, Donald Byrd, who we're paying tribute to on trumpet, Hank Mobley on tenor saxophone, Horace Silver on piano, Douglas Watkins on bass and Art Blakey on drums. Paying a little tribute to one of the great trumpeters in jazz who you heard on both of those tracks. And, of course, that was the original Jazz Messengers. And that was, as I mentioned before, they were a cooperative band. That was before Art Blakey uh, took over the name and it became Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers. So the the original Jazz Messengers were... Um, a cooperative band. This was their last recording before they uh, all went their separate ways. They had uh, their own ideas, their own uh, bands that they wanted to uh, become involved with and that sort of thing. And, uh, and that was it. And then Blakey rebuilt the band under his own name. So we heard two pieces um, from this Columbia recording that was done in Uh, April and May of 1956, and it's considered uh, one of the finest um, jazz messenger recordings. Donald Byrd, the gentleman we're paying tribute to, was, of course, on trumpet. He had joined the band. Uh, He had uh, replaced Kenny Dorham, who uh, who left to do his own thing, and Donald Byrd joined the band, and the original members of the Jazz Messengers were still there, including the great Hank Mobley on tenor saxophone, Horace Silver on piano, uh, Doug Watkins on bass, and of course, Art Blakey on drums. And the first piece of music we heard was called Infra Ray, and that was written by Hank Mobley. And uh, then the next tune was really the highlight of this whole set, and this piece of music written for the jazz baroness. Baroness Nika Rothschild, who was a friend of uh, all the jazz musicians. And uh, Horace wrote it in honor of her and called it Nika's Dream. And it remains to this day one of Horace Silver's uh, finest compositions. And, of course, the band just uh, played it beautifully. And we heard that Donald Byrd especially, that uh, gorgeous kind of uh, lyrical sense that he had uh, on the trumpet Uh, He was a great lyrical stylist and uh, a beautiful player as well. We're going to move now to uh, another band that Donald Byrd got involved with that he co-led with alto saxophone stylist and composer Gigi Grice, and they called it the Jazz Laboratory. I know it's kind of a a little bit clinical, but uh, this band was uh, a warm, um, solid band in the style of music at the time, and we're going to hear three pieces of music that was recorded. Uh, their short set that they did the afternoon of July 5th, 1957, at Freebody Park uh, in Newport, Rhode Island, as part of the Newport Jazz Festival, and uh, there was a feature, a little feature for the Jazz Lab with Donald Byrd and Gigi Grice. And um, this was a band that recorded a number of albums. They were together most of 1957 and uh, recorded uh, a number of albums. And of course, it was a great showcase for um, the guys in the band, of course, uh, but especially Donald Byrd. And uh, he sounds uh, very confident and wonderful uh, on these recordings. So we're going to hear three pieces of music uh, from this set. This was all they played, and and uh, the announcements are made here by uh, Gigi Grice. He sounds a little, uh, sounds a little gruff. As a matter of fact, he sounds like he's uh, um, not pleased with having uh, such a short stint um, on the bandstand. I think uh, he wanted the band to play longer, but you know, jazz festivals being the way they are, that's it. <laughs> he sounds a little put out about it. Anyway, the first tune is written by Ray Bryant and it's called Ray's Way. The second tune is a Gigi Grice original called Batland. And the third tune is a standard tune that was uh, in the band's book, um, a Gigi Grice arrangement of Cole Porter's Love for Sale. So here then is the Jazz Laboratory with. Donald Byrd on trumpet, Gigi Grice on alto saxophone, Hank Jones on piano, Wendell Marshall on bass, and O.C. Johnson on drums. And this is their set.
2: The next group to appear at the Newport Jazz Festival, first afternoon, my second day, is the Jazz Laboratory with... O.C. Johnson at the drums. O.C. Johnson. Let's finish the rhythm section at the piano. One of the famous Jones musicians, Mr. Hank Jones. And of course, with Hank and O.C., we sort of we expected to see Milt Hinton, but it's nice to see Wendell Marshall on bass. One of the fine new trumpeters, uh, most recently with Art Blakey's Messengers before joining the Jazz Lab, Donald Byrd on trumpet. (laughs) And continuing to write freshly and interestingly and to feature himself in alto sax, Gigi Grice.
0: We're only gonna be on the stand about 25 minutes, so we'd like to save time by announcing the numbers immediately after we finish. The first tune is written by Ray Bryant, pianist with Carmen McRae. It's entitled
2: Ray's Way.
0: to play a blues entitled Entitled. Thank you very much. Now we'd like to close with something that you all should be familiar with, standard, entitled Off for Sale. And that was the afternoon set. The um uh initial announcer that opened the uh uh the speaking part of this was uh Willis Conover and of course he was uh, uh the voice of Voice of America and broadcast to all uh, all parts uh of the world through uh Voice of America services and uh and even into communist countries where the signal wasn't blocked and all this kind of stuff. Anyway, uh, Conover was the uh, uh, host, and he introduced um, the band, uh, and you heard all the personnel. uh, Donald Byrd, who we're paying tribute to on trumpet, uh, Gigi Grice, the co-leader on alto saxophone, Hank Jones on piano, Wendell Marshall on bass, and O.C. Johnson on drums. And uh, we heard the voice of Gigi Grice introducing uh, the tunes that we heard, the three tunes that made up this uh, short afternoon set. And we opened with a composition by Ray Bryant, pianist Ray Bryant, called Ray's Way. And then we moved to a Gigi Grice original based on the blues called Batland. And the final piece of music, of course, was the Jazz Lab's arrangement of Cole Porter's Love for Sale. All of this was done at the Newport Jazz Festival afternoon show, July fifth, 1957. And that was the Jazz Lab Band, co-led by Donald Byrd and Gigi Grice. We're paying uh, tribute, as you can uh, gather, Today is the birthday anniversary of the great Donald Byrd, who was uh, born in Detroit and was the son of a minister and uh, developed uh, very rapidly. uh, And it became, of course, um, he's got uh, piles of or he had piles of university degrees and and, uh, qualifications. He he uh, um, he. During his really busy time in, in the 50s and 60s in the jazz world, um, he was pursuing um, his, uh, his college degrees and, and got them all. And, of course, uh, he became Dr. Donald Byrd uh, in uh, later life, finally got a Ph.D., and, of course, um, was instrumental in, uh, in teaching music and black culture and um, black history. And, of course, formed a band in the 70s called the Blackbirds, and they played jazz funk music. A Very, very good band. Uh, he was criticized in the jazz community for doing this. Uh, you know, they said he betrayed jazz and all this kind of stuff, but uh, he felt it was very important. Um, the Blackbirds became very successful commercially, and... Um, Donald Byrd said, well, I'm a representative of uh, of black American music, and this is black American music just as much uh, as jazz is. That's the way he felt about it. Anyway, we're paying tribute to this uh, great musician, wonderful trumpet player. Now, one of the recordings, and this one was raved about by the jazz critics. A lot of times, you know, they they missed the boat, um, and and put down records that have now become classics, but this one is a classic, and it got, when it came out, it got critically praised. Um, It got five stars in Downbeat magazine. I remember the review just raved about it, and I think it really marked the um, first really mature stage of Donald Byrd, his... his, um, uh, trumpet sound, had had um, more depth, and um, he really, his personality was uh, fully formed by this um, historic recording, which was done in May of 1959 for Blue Note Records. The album was called Bird in Hand, and it featured a hand-picked band put together by Donald, uh, including Charlie Rouse on tenor saxophone and his best friend, uh, fellow Detroiter, the master of the baritone saxophone, Pepper Adams. And on, da- on uh, piano, Walter Davis Jr., Sam Jones on bass, and Arthur Taylor on drums. A beautiful band. We're going to hear two pieces of music from here. The first piece is a standard tune written by Cy Coleman. It's called Witchcraft, and I'm sure it's a tune that you've heard uh, several times. And Donald Byrd's arrangement is just gorgeous. Um, The second tune is a Donald Byrd original. It's one of the highlights of this album, and it's called Here Am I. And he certainly arrived on this album. So we're going to hear those two tunes.
1: That's mm-hmm. it. we
0: That's from an album called Bird in Hand, which was uh, issued on Blue Note Records. It's a classic recording, of course, and it got uh, tremendous reviews and so on. And for all the recording that Donald Bird did with uh, all kinds of people, Sonny Rollins, John Coltrane, Red Garland uh, in various bands, um, this was the album that really put Donald Bird on the map for a lot of people because they... They felt that uh, this album uh, revealed his, uh, his true mastery of music and his most mature stage. And, of course, um, his sound had, uh, had, had deepened. And uh, this is just a wonderful recording with, uh, with this great all-star sextet with um, Mr. Bird or Dr. Bird on trumpet, um, Charlie Brouse on tenor saxophone, um, Pepper Adams, uh, Donald Byrd's best friend on baritone saxophone. They actually formed a band together, and uh, it, it stayed together for um, a couple of years and, um, with, uh, with Pepper Adams. And um, on piano, Walter Davis Jr., on bass, the great Sam Jones, and on drums, Arthur Taylor. And we heard two tunes from this uh, album. The first one was the Cy Coleman standard called Witchcraft. And the second tune was uh, Donald Byrd's original composition called Here Am I. And he certainly was on on this album. And it's one of his uh, finest. So, wrapping up our tribute to the great Donald Byrd, of course... His music won't be a stranger on the jazz show in the future, but uh, I thought you might enjoy um, listening to some Donald Byrd uh, recordings with the Jazz Messengers, with the Jazz Lab, and of course um, the final recording under his own name uh, for Blue Note Records. As I mentioned before, Donald Byrd was born on this day, December 9th nineteen thirty-two, and passed away at the ripe old age of eighty, February fourth. 2013, and of course, uh, uh, master musician, uh, played with everybody, uh, teacher, um, all kinds of things, pioneer in modern jazz. Donald Byrd, you are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9, of course, uh, on the web as well. For live streaming, citr.ca, and uh, a lot of people listen to us on the uh, through their computer. I find uh, the sound is maybe a little more consistent, um, and definitely, I hope you're enjoying the music this evening on the jazz show. Just uh, like to mention a couple of websites. One of them, of course, is the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society and that is coastaljazz.ca. That's a very comprehensive website and one worth looking at. Uh, they also have the schedule at uh, Frankie's Jazz Club, which, of course, is down on Beattie Street right across from B.C. Place, very popular spot, and some very, very fine music is there programmed by the ever-busy and redoubtable uh, impresario of jazz, Corey weeds and of course Corey is a very very fine musician as well has his own record label seller jazz and uh, is an incredible force on our um, resident vancouver jazz scene and of course Corey's known throughout the world as well as a very fine representative of our city Anyway, he programs the um, the music at Frankie's, so you know it's going to be on a high level. Various performers are there. And, of course, if you get onto the Coastal Jazz and Blues website, you can find out who's coming to the club. Um, you can make reservations and do all that kind of stuff on that website. That's coastaljazz.ca. And the other comprehensive website is one run by Brian Nation, my old friend. And that one is called VancouverJazz.com. That's a good website, too. All kinds of interesting links on there. And if you're unfamiliar with the jazz scene in Vancouver, those two uh, sites are really worthwhile uh, checking out on your computer. CoastalJazz.ca and VancouverJazz.com. And I always like to mention Pat's Pub. In the historic Patricia Hotel in Vancouver's downtown east side, they have jazz every Saturday afternoon there, and there is never and never will be a cover charge. So um, we're all a little short on that uh, jingly stuff that we need so much, uh, and uh, that's a good way of hearing some of our finest musicians at. Pat's Pub, and you don't have to worry about a cover charge. And uh, you can sit and nurse a coffee or a beer or whatever. Uh, Food is very good down there. Very comfortable atmosphere, good sound quality, and a very friendly place uh, to hear some good jazz. Every Saturday afternoon from 3 until 7 at Pat's Pub. And uh, you check it out. It's... uh, Worthwhile, and it's usually very busy down there, so it's always best to get down there a little early, get yourself seated and relaxed, and uh, enjoy the sounds at uh, Pat's Pop Jazz every Saturday afternoon from 3 to 7. We're going to take you to a club in Sweden, in Stockholm, and it's a club called Nallamn. And performing on this piece is the great Sonny Rollins. He was doing his uh, final tour of Europe before he returned to the United States and went into um, his two years of seclusion, where he uh, got himself physically together. He wanted to do some things. Um, He wanted to practice. He wasn't satisfied with his playing. Etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and took two years off, and then, of course, came back. Um, Sonny was, uh, this was his uh, uh, final public uh, tour, um, and he visited various cities with his trio, his working trio uh, in Europe. So, this is the one track that was recorded at this club. I wish there was more, but um, this is the only one that is ever surfaced. Recorded at this club in Stockholm, March the 2nd, 1959, with Sonny on tenor saxophone, Henry Grimes on bass, and Pete LaRocca on drums. And this is Sonny Rollins' most famous tune, a great version of St. Thomas. Sonny Rollins playing his uh, most famous composition, and of course, doing a great job. Um, it's amazing that uh, he, <laughs> with uh, the way he was playing on this uh, on this tour, all throughout the tour, there are other recordings that weren't uh, that were done uh, in uh, for a Swedish radio station, but this was done live. And, of course, uh, obviously a very enthusiastic audience. And this is the only um, tune that uh, surfaced from the club. I'm sure somebody's got, uh, somebody taped the whole thing, or at least more than uh, what we have. However, we have this version of St. Thomas. Uh, Sonny with his touring trio with um, Henry Grimes on bass and Pete LaRocca on drums. St. Thomas. As I mentioned before, it's hard to imagine Sonny being dissatisfied with his playing. But uh, he was, and when he returned to the U.S., he went into seclusion and stopped playing publicly for two years. Um, to practice, which he did on the Williamsburg Bridge. That's all legend now and, and true. And, of course, he... Um, eventually came out and made a a classic uh, recording for RCA Victor. We'll have to feature that sometime, that uh, return recording. It was called The Bridge, and um, it's truly one of uh, Sonny Rollins' masterpieces, and we'll have to uh, do a jazz feature of that recording in the future. But right now, we just heard St. Thomas. Here is one of the finest guitar players on the planet. He is still alive, and I don't know how much performing he's doing these days. Um, He's had some trouble, um, uh, aging process and uh, housing and this sort of thing. Uh, However, he is still with us, and um, he is truly a legend. I'm talking about Kenny Burrell. We're going to hear a few pieces uh, with Kenny. We're going to open with a solo piece. Um, This is um, a piece of music from Prelude Number no. 2 by George Gershwin. And Burrell plays this as a solo. Then we're going to go to a tune called Downstairs that was actually written by drummer Elvin Jones. It's also known as Elvin's Guitar Blues. Elvin was kind of an amateur guitar player. <laughs> he actually recorded this tune. Anyway, Kenny picked it up and, and recorded it with uh, um, his... Quartet on this uh, album, Roger Calloway, who is still very much with us, on piano, Joe Benjamin on bass, Grady Tate on drums, and uh, if you hear a conga drums, it's Willie Rodriguez. So first of all, solo, Kenny, doing Prelude Number 2, then we're going to hear Downstairs um, by Elvin Jones, and then another piece of music by Joe Benjamin, the bass player, uh, called Terrace Theme. And um, the final tune is a composition by Kenny Burrell himself called Breadwinner. So here then some uh, stellar pieces of music by the great Kenny Burrell. Oh, we'll get that one together. In just a moment, right now. Little engineering confusion here. (laughs) Here we go. Thank you. One of the great guitarists in jazz. This is from an album called Guitar Forums with uh, Kenny Burrell. And we heard Solo, first of all, doing uh, an excerpt from Prelude Number no. 2 by George Gershwin. And then we uh, brought in the group, which featured Roger Calloway on piano, Joe Benjamin on bass, Grady Tate on drums, and Willie Rodriguez on conga drums. And we heard, uh, first of all, Downstairs by Elvin Jones. Then we heard uh, a piece of music called Terrace Theme. And then the final piece of music was written by Kenny Burrell and entitled Breadwinner. Kenny Burrell. We're going to turn our attention now to one of the great tenor saxophone tag team matches. Gene Ammons and Sonny Stitt. This is from an album called You Talk That Talk. And uh, Gene Ammons always takes the first solo in this uh, group. That was kind of a tradition within the group. And uh, both of them, of course, are playing the tenor saxophone. Gene Ammons and Sonny Stitt, two of the giants on that instrument, with Leon Spencer, Jr. on the Hammett organ, George Freeman on guitar, and Idris Mohammed on drums. And uh, we're going to open this uh, short set with um, a Sonny Stitt composition um, dedicated, actually, to his daughter. And it's called Katia's Dance. And we're going to follow that up with another tune from this album. But uh, this is the one we're going to start with. Katia's Dance. (laughs) ¶¶ We heard a few tunes from this album called You Talk That Talk, and that featured the great tenor saxophone team of Gene Ammons and Sonny Stitt. And, of course, Gene Ammons always soloed first, and uh, the first two tunes, Sonny Stitt was using um, a varitone, an electronic uh, device plugged into his saxophone, so it, it had kind of that distant sound. Um, on the final tune, he was not using it, so his natural sound came out. Anyway, um, Gene Ammons, as I mentioned before, always soloed first in this band, and um, Sonny Stitt always soloed second. We heard George Freeman on guitar, Leon Spencer Jr. on Hammond organ, and the great Idris Mohammed on drums. And we heard three tunes. All of this was recorded in February 1971. Uh, The first tune we heard was uh, by Sonny Stitt, dedicated to his daughter, and was called Katia's Dance. The second tune was written by a fellow tenor saxophonist named Harold Vick, and it was called Out of It. And the third tune is the title track from this album, kind of a marching blues, and a perfect way to take us out of tonight's show. And that was written by Leon Spencer, the the organist. And as I mentioned before, that's the title track, You Talk That Talk. So that's it for uh, this edition of The Jazz Show on CITR, FM 101.9. And of course, if you're live streaming, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker, and we're here every Monday night with some of the very best in jazz music. Next week on The Jazz Feature is a vocalist. Yes. And she is one of the great legends of vocal jazz. And uh, her name is Betty Carter. And she's going to be the jazz feature artist next week. We do this show every Monday night. starts at 9 p.m. and carries on until, well, the wee small hours of the morning. So... Take care, and uh, be careful out there, and enjoy yourselves as well. And anybody that's uh, writing exams right now, good luck. And we'll see you in seven days' time. On behalf of The Jazz Show and yours truly, Gavin Walker. Bye-bye.